Welcome to The Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm The Dyad, and this is Night Hunter. Dungeons and Dragons is a fantasy tabletop role-playing game originally designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. It was... No, 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 no. Just kidding. Not this week. As much as I really enjoy making the deep dive episodes, I too need a break from the work that goes into them. This week will be Return to the Free Play format, but rest assured, I have picked some interesting tracks, and I've tried to focus on some underloved consoles to feature. It's almost a kind of mini-theme. You'll see what I mean as we go, but I've definitely picked some stuff that you don't hear from as often on my show. Case in point, bringing us in this week is the Commodore 64. From the game Night Hunter, composed by Yoroen Tell, this is track 3. Night Hunter was a cancelled port of the 1988 Amiga game of the same name. Originally developed by Ubisoft, the C64 version was scheduled for a 1989 release. Really it was unclear if 1989 was when the game was shelved or the intended release date, but that's all I found to go off of. The Amiga version is a side-scrolling action platformer wherein the player takes control of the fearsome Count Dracula. You're equipped with the canonically appropriate ability to transform into a bat, and the generally nonsensical ability to transform into a werewolf. The game is a fairly novel perspective, letting the player act as the villain. Other than that, the only review of the Amiga version I could find had it rated pretty poorly. There's also a 1996 film called Night Hunter. The plot involves Jack Cutter as the last in a long line of vampire hunters. After killing a few vampires in an LA restaurant, he's chased both by police and by other vampires. From what I can tell, it's totally unrelated and just shares the fairly generic vampire-y name. As for the reasons for the cancellation, one article points out that Ubisoft continued making C64 games into the early 90s, so for years it was unknown why the game was scrapped. The coder of the game was a man named Guy Mill. He had previously worked on Ubisoft's Iron Lord. 
Allegedly, despite good progress on the development of the game, Mill was under a lot of pressure regarding the graphics and fixing some glitches. Well, apparently the demands were unreasonable and Mill departed Ubisoft. As a result, Ubisoft simply decided to cancel the C64 version. As you can hear, Yoro and Tell is great with the SID chip, and if nothing else, the music was rescued from the ashes of this project. The whole soundtrack is widely available, and it's actually pretty robust for a C64 effort. Check out the rest of the OST if you like the C64 sound. Next up is a move to the Super Nintendo. From the game Super Gusun Oyoyo 2, composed by Kei Yamazaki, this track is called The Toughest Puzzles.
original Gusun Oyoyo is a puzzle game developed by IRAM for arcades, released in 1993. From what I saw and read, the gameplay is sort of a combination of Lemmings and Tetris. The premise of the series is to help bald weirdos Gusun and his brother Oyoyo escape flooding levels by building a stairway with Tetris blocks. But the brothers are controlled exclusively by AI and move independently of the player's wishes. Much like in the aforementioned Lemmings, if you scare the brothers, they have a tendency to run exactly where you don't want them to go. The original game saw ports to the PlayStation, Saturn, and SNES, and despite its generally inferior hardware, the Super Nintendo version added new features and saw an eventual sequel. I suppose I should probably clarify that when I say Super Nintendo, I mean Super Famicom. This is a Japanese-only release. Super Gusun Oyoyo 2 is another Super Famicom exclusive developed by Cans and published by Banpresto in 1996. The game makes a few significant changes from the original Super Gusun Oyoyo. Most notably, the sequel is set on a tropical island with an active volcano, accompanied by shooting fireballs, which act as a timer of sorts. The longer the player takes, the more fireballs drop onto the player. The game also introduces a new puzzle mode which plays similarly to those found in Tetris sequels. The player has a limited number of predetermined pieces and you need to figure out how to use them to reach the end of the stage. Generally speaking, puzzle games don't require a lot of English to enjoy, but if you want to be able to read all the text the game has to offer, romhacking.net has released an English patch. I am intrigued by the game, and as I like to do occasionally, I checked on the price of the game on eBay. The original Super Nintendo port sells for a somewhat modest $25 to $30 complete inbox, but the sequel is up over $150 and a loose cart is still somewhere in the $70 range. It seems like a cool puzzle game, but maybe stick to other shady methods of play. Next. From the Nintendo 64, from the game Mario Golf 64, composed by Motoi Sakuraba, this is Replay Mode.
Mario Golf 64 is the first installment in the Mario Golf franchise and what I consider to be a partner to the Mario Tennis games. Kind of the, I don't know, rich waspy white guy pairing of games that Mario loves. Developed by Camelot Software Planning and published by Nintendo, the game was released in 1999. There was also an odd port to the Game Boy Color that even tacked on some RPG elements. Camelot has a somewhat interesting history. They've developed for three of the four major game companies over time and were partnered with two of them. They started out in 1990 under the name Sega CD4 or Consumer Development Studio No. 4. Wisely, they renamed shortly thereafter to Sonic! Exclamation point. Software Planning. As you might be able to guess from their name, the company worked closely with Sega and was largely responsible for the Shining Force series of games on the Genesis, Saturn, and Sega CD. In 1995, Sonic officially departed from Sega but maintained their working relationship. They released a few titles for Sony's new PlayStation console and by the time Shining Force 3 was released, the company had already changed their name to Camelot. With the release of Mario Golf, Camelot began their courtship with Nintendo, and by 2001, they had solidified their partnership. As I mentioned before, Camelot cranks out the Mario Golf and tennis releases, but also is responsible for the Golden Sun RPG series. And also, Camelot has made another notable contribution to gaming. Mario Tennis saw the creation of the character Waluigi. Reportedly, Waluigi came about after Nintendo requested a Wario-like counterpart for Luigi during the development of Mario Tennis. And another bit of trivia that might be lost on non-Japanese speakers, the name Waluigi is a combination of Luigi and the Japanese word Warui, meaning bad. So essentially, bad Luigi. Well, I love wordplay and I love Japanese people that love wordplay, so aces in my book. I also read that Mario Golf uses Camelot's earlier Everybody's Golf engine. Everybody's Golf was one of the handful of PlayStation games developed by Camelot in the late 90s. I don't know enough about game development to say how likely this is, but I guess it makes some sense. Take a pre-existing engine, add some Mario characters, and call it a day. But, like I said, I really don't know how similar the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation development is, and whether that's realistic. And that reminds me, for whatever reason, Camelot opted to inject 9 or 10 new characters as playable golfers. Instead of drawing from the rich and ever-so-expansive history of Mario intellectual property, Camelot thought it would be a better to use nondescript human characters. Other than an appearance as a trophy in one of the Super Smash Bros. games, none of the characters have ever made another appearance in a Nintendo title. Or any title, for that matter. The GameCube saw a sequel to Mario Golf, and this was one of the many improvements Camelot made. Subtitled Toadstool Tour, the GameCube Mario Golf is my favorite golf game of all time. That being said, Motoi Sakuraba's N64 soundtrack is far superior. Sakuraba is a longtime composer for Camelot, and he still is cranking out soundtracks for them to this day. 
He also works on, I think I saw anime scores, maybe movies, I'm not sure, but he's, uh, he's pretty prolific. He's been around for a long time. Anyway, while I prefer the GameCube version, Mario Golf 64 is a really fun way to play golf, and while it's much better multiplayer, it's still worth checking out by yourself if you haven't given it a shot yet. Next, we're moving to the often overlooked ZX Spectrum. From the game Assault Course, composed by either Andy Severn or Gerard Gorley, credited as Sonic Graffiti, I couldn't find out which one was actually the composer. I saw both in different places, and since they're credited as an alias, I'm not really sure how I'm going to settle that. Anyway, this is the title theme. ZX Spectrum games, information is fairly hard to come by, and for this game there's an added layer of confusion. Assault Course comes only two years after CRL Group's fellow Spectrum game called NATO Assault Course. Also known as Assault Course Combat Academy, this game was a 1990 release developed by Brian Cross, Andrew Severn, Michael A. Sanderson, and the aforementioned Sonic Graffiti. That was actually one of the clues that makes me feel like it might be Gerard Gorley who composed the game. I saw Andrew Severn, who could be credited as a composer, but I saw him listed it side by side with Sonic Graffiti on one source. Seems like you wouldn't, you know, list them twice and separately, and but it's not it's not confirmation, but that's kind of why I'm leaning that direction. The game was published by Players Premier and is allegedly inspired by the arcade coin-op game Combat School. I'm guessing most people are probably not familiar with any of these games, so I'll just tell you that it seems pretty accurate. 
Both of them involve military-styled obstacle courses that the player must complete. The basic concept of an assault course, or trim trail, comes from military training exercises. Apparently they were quite popular in the 70s, and those courses have enjoyed a bit of a resurgence in recent years. If you need help picturing the idea, think of a 10 foot tall wall with a rope to assist the climber. On TV, there's things like Ninja Warrior, which sort of spiraled from the idea behind these obstacle courses. And throughout the US, there's various things like Viking Monster Slay Run and Mud Monster Battler that seem to borrow from this concept. Interestingly, at least to me, the UK still seems to use the original assault course terminology. My Google searches were full of hits from courses across Europe, but mostly in Britain. Maybe we can get Michael Bridgewater to go and try one and report back. Or maybe just try the ZX Spectrum game. You have your homework, Michael. Continuing with today's theme of underrepresented consoles on the show, we're moving on to the Sega Dreamcast. From my memory, I think this might only be the second or possibly third track that I've played from the Dreamcast. And the first one I played was a crack, so it wasn't exactly making the most of the sound hardware. This comes from the game Rainbow Cotton. Composed by Kenichi Hirata, this is Town of Flowers, Permagon.
Rainbow Cotton was released in January 2000, developed and published by Success. This is the second time I've played something from the Cotton series of games. A line of shoot-em-ups, Rainbow Cotton is a sorta tunnel shooter with an over-the-shoulder third-person perspective. This game isn't much loved by fans as it largely departs from earlier entries in the series. As I mentioned, the Panzer Dragoon style gameplay departed from the long-running side-scrolling action of earlier entries. On top of that, the controls are reportedly very clunky and unresponsive, and the character of Cotton takes up an over-large portion of the screen, blocking the view of incoming bad guys and even power-ups. On the positive side, the world is bright and colorful and handles the Dreamcast masterfully. It keeps the game running at a full 60 FPS in nearly the entire game. The music is also well done and catchy, and I think it's usually a standout mention in the reviews. In my limited experience, it seems to be a staple of the Cotton series. All in all, Rainbow Cotton is seen as a low point in an otherwise enjoyed franchise. Skip the game, just check out the OST. Next, we'll be moving to the PC, and specifically MS-DOS. From the game 1869, composed by Hans Seifert, this is Music 12.
1869 is a strategy and economics trading game developed and published by Austrian company Max Design in 1992. Released on MS-DOS, it was also ported to the Commodore Amiga. The music was composed for the AdLib OPL sound card. I was delighted to learn that there's a sort of fan page for the game. Uh, I'll link to it on the blog post for the episode. It's sort of a quasi-review, quasi-strategy... Uh, I don't know, you can see for yourself if you're curious. The game puts the player in the shoes of a newly minted 19th century merchant trader. Before you can set sail peddling your wares, you need to acquire a ship, crew, goods to sell, and plot your course. 1869 is a full-on simulation game and eschews action in favor of obsessive planning and charting. From the little I read, the fan site puts it best, describing the game as simple but not primitive. If you like immersive sim games, you can find the game readily available on Abandonware sites and it's said to run fine on DOSBox. And also, before I move on, I'll leave you with one of my favorite quote-slash-screenshots in the game. I'll also post a uh, picture of it on the blog. It comes from that earlier mentioned fan site. It's a, a guy wearing, I guess, some kind of military garb, and he says, They urgently need tea for $41.70 per ton in London. There's something very charming to me about London's urgent need for tea. I won't be a meanie boy and try to come up with some things that Americans urgently need. Anyway, that brings us to our last track of the show. It comes from the Commodore Amiga. The astute listener may be thinking, why does he always play Amiga tracks at the end of the episodes? Well, simply put, they are long tracks. Generally speaking, I play something shorter and often upbeat to start the show and close it out with something longer and are slower. It just so happens that the Amiga like to play long tracks. I'll maybe cover that a little bit more in the eventual Amiga System Focus episode. It, it is unfortunate because I don't always get to spend a lot of time talking about the Amiga games. Um, you know, maybe I should make an effort to fix that. Even if I'm playing them last, I can tack on some extra blabbing at the end of the episode like I did with Snatcher. Anyway, before I go, as always, special thanks to Alan Euler, aka Periodical, for mixing and editing the show. You can follow me at thediadpresents.blogspot.com, where I also post the track list for the show. You can subscribe on the top 100 podcatchers available to man. And don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter, at The Dyad, where I've become... I've become a pretty good tweeter. I send other tweeters out there. I make, make some jokes. Some of them are moderately funny. You can see for yourself, I guess. You can email me at thediadpresents at gmail.com. And there's a Facebook page and group you can find by searching for the name of the podcast or by at the dyad. Oh, and I thought of one other thing I wanted to say about the game I'm going to close out the episode with. It comes from the Amiga game Cannon Fodder, and the theme song itself is uh, fairly well known. Um, I kind of mentioned Michael earlier in the show, but I think it was on his... I think it might have been on their battle episode, the second battle episode. They played a track from Cannon Fodder and got into it a bit more... Um, 
I recommend checking that episode out if you haven't. He's uh, He does a good job of covering everything. I'm actually going to be playing a different track, composed by Richard Joseph and John Hare. This is the menu theme. See you next time.